You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm sitting with John Golden, who is the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer at Pipeliner CRM. John is also an Amazon bestselling author of the book, Winning the Battle for Sales, Lessons on Closing Every, Day, Every Deal from the World's Greatest Military Victories and Social Upheaval, How to Win at Social Selling. He's conducted over 700 interviews on the popular sales pop podcast, a globally acknowledged sales and marketing thought leader, speaker, and strategist. He's also the chief strategy and marketing officer at Pipeliner CRM, and in his spare time, John is an avid martial artist. So that's a lot, John. Uh, <laughs> thank you for being here. Welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, listen, thanks, Paris. Great. Do you, uh, other than that colorful intro, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to add to introduce yourself to our audience? Um, no, no, I think that uh, I think that covers it. All right, excellent. So you're based in San Diego, and you're originally from from Ireland. Is that correct? That's correct, indeed. Yeah, I'm a transplant. And and, and how long have you been in the states, and and what brought you over there? Yeah, in the states, uh, coming up on twenty four, twenty five years now, to be honest. Uh, and what brought me here in the first place is I came during the dot com. Um, era. I was working for a small startup in Ireland and they had opened um, sales and marketing um, organization and kind of headquartered, uh, moved the headquarters to the States and left the development center, the product development center back in Dublin. And then mm -hmm. they uh, asked me to move over to the States. And uh, so I moved to, uh, I moved to Silicon Valley during the dot-com era in the, uh, in the late 90s, the mid, late, mid to late 90s. And uh, yeah, that's what brought me here in the first place. So it's quite an introduction, actually, to be honest, to the States, because Silicon Valley and during the dot-com era was, um, it wasn't like the rest of this, it wasn't like the rest of the States. So it was like going to another planet yeah. almost. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's quite a journey, and looks like the last roughly seven years you've been now with with Pipeliner. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I I mm. was uh, I was running to uh, performance improvement companies, Hothweight, which is spin selling, uh, and Omega Performance, which was credit training for banks. I was running them for the parent company Informa. And then Informa sold the performance improvement companies, or we helped sell them to private equity. And after that, I went out and uh, moved back from, we're over in the DC area, moved back, moved back to California, to San Diego, started my, started up, decided I was going to go it alone, do my own management consultancy. Uh, and I started up, had a, uh, started, found my first few clients, and one of them happened to be the founder and CEO of, of Pipeliner. And after doing a couple right. of projects, yeah, after doing a couple of projects with him, he uh, he asked me, persuaded me, cajoled me and uh, got me to to join and partner with him and, uh, you know, g give up building my own business and come on, on board and 
help drive Pipeliner. So, and it's worked mm-hmm. out fantastic. So, good choice. Yeah. So, over that period, over those roughly seven years, how, uh, what kind of growth have you seen at Pipeliner? Yeah, we've been growing. Uh, we've been growing year over year, and uh, what's fantastic is, uh, you know, we even grew during the. Um, we even grew last year, you know, during the pandemic and stuff. Um, so we we've seen uh, we've seen st- steady growth uh, and uh, significant growth, in fact, in, in the last number of years. So things have been going really well, and we've started to, you know, we started out we were. You know, kind of small mid-market in our approach or in our focus. We're now much more into larger and enterprise customers, so mid-market to large customers. So it's it's been going mm-hmm. really well, going really well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So you made a transition from from more smaller companies to mid-market and then up to enterprise. How how did that work? What what did you do to successfully move up market like that? Um, what, what we did to move, um, what we did to move up market. Number one is um, our, our product. Uh, you know, we we are very focused on product development. So our product, we've developed it uh, extensively, added features and functionalities. Sometimes ones that nobody else has, um, especially you know features that are 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 more uh, focused on on sales teams. You know, so you really need a sales team, a sales organization, and building up believe in process and um you know so we have a lot of those enterprise features and starting to really promote those features and people to adopt them allowed us to start to to move to move upstream and you know our reputation has grown also in the meantime as well and you as it can be seen you know we're we we do very well on all the independent review sites and all of that kind of Mm -hmm. thing too so we we have focused very very hard on the product because we believe number one that it's great there's a lot of people out there who focus on the marketing side throw together a product you know with some decent okay functionality and then focus really hard and put all their money and effort into into marketing we on the other hand put put a lot of time effort and resources and money into developing the best product possible because at the end of the day we want you know we want our customers to be successful we want them to be able to scale with the product and that's what they're able to do Mm -hmm. one of the key unique selling uh, features that i noticed as i was going through the website and watching the videos is that you put a lot of emphasis on the fact that the adoption the adoption of sales teams will be greater therefore you're going to get productivity because people will enjoy using this more and you'll have a higher adoption rate. Can you explain that to me a little more? I'm, I'm very curious how um, how you're measuring that, and, and that seems to be what sets you all apart. Yeah, uh, and that uh, that goes back to the original founding of the company and the CEO, Nicholas uh, Kimler, who is very, very um, committed to sales and to improving sales and looking at things from a sales perspective. And, and that is why we, we built the product for salespeople and we made it visual because at the end of the day, you, you use what you like. And if something is good and easy to use and visual and appealing, uh, then you're more likely to use it. And what we wanted, what we always want to do is to be able to present the information in as visual a form as possible so that the insights can be, you know, gathered immediately because obviously mm-hmm. people process images faster than they process text. 
So that has been our focus. And so everything in the product, we try to visualize and we continue to try and improve the, the visual elements because that's what attracts people. That's what gets them to use it. They see benefit of them, benefit for themselves. And when salespeople come to use the product, they can see that this has been developed from a sales perspective. It's been done to make, uh, to help them to be more successful, to make life easier for them. And so mm-hmm. there is, so they're getting the return from the product. Whereas, a traditional CRM, to be perfectly frank, uh, was always built from a management control, you know, command and control perspective. It's like, let's build mm-hmm. a system so we can get all the information that we want for management so we can run all our reports. And the poor salespeople were forgotten in the equation. Well, we have redressed the balance, if you like. Um, we took it from a salesperson point of view, but also because when you have salespeople using the system, then the management executives, then they're getting all the data they need. And for once, they're getting accurate data. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I think um, I believe that whilst the, the CRM space is hyper competitive, I still think there's so much room to innovate within within the CRM space. And I think it's it's pivoting in a lot of directions because I, I see the emergence of these adjacent categories. And it's very interesting to me because I see, for example, sales engagement, the sales engagement space, the Outreach, outreaches, and sales lofts of the world um, that are that are mostly connected with outbound outbound sales. Uh, I see other platforms that are really getting better at AI driven coaching, so basically helping salespeople in real time, uh, providing them answers and feedback about how to improve. I see all these things eventually getting melded into this into the CRM. Can you tell can you tell me what your vision is of the CRM space? What what is a modern CRM going to look like in about 5 years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I, and as you said, you're correct. Um, the space is quite crowded. There's a lot of adjacent things coming in. So there's lots of point solutions coming out. And the problem with all of that is that you end up with companies who uh, end up buying like five, six, 10, 20 different, you know, products, you know, they keep layering them on because they get the shiny new toy syndrome and think, oh, this is going to help improve our sales. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think oftentimes what's lost in that is, is the reality of the, the salesperson, because at the end of the day, you're loading tools upon tools upon tools upon these people, um, rather than understanding, um, their, their day to day. What our vision is, is is to build as much into the product as possible that is sales focused so that you don't have to have all these point solutions you don't have to go out, outside you don't have to have all these add-ins etc and we're mm-hmm. focused 100% on sales that's where we focus so we don't you know we have uh we have marketing capabilities in the system uh you know marketing automation but from a sales perspective we don't build it out for for a marketing you know organization it's built for sales people mm-hmm. um so thing so things like that um we are expanding our platform there's going to be some really exciting news coming out probably the end of the end of the summer um the next is the next major iteration of our of our platform the next um major edition but our whole our whole philosophy is around number one hyper focus so hyper focus on sales and then making sure that the the platform with our with our two you know we have um uh, with our APIs, uh, you know, that it's easily connected to other systems, um, with our automation engine, that it's very easy to remove rote or routine tasks. So again, you know, you're taking the burden off, off salespeople. 
uh, and you're automating so that it makes it much simpler so they can focus on the high value activities uh, and and obviously with all our our our, our sales enablement uh, capabilities built in, with our relationship mappings, you know, for buying centers or charts, relationship graphs, account hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So we have built so much in so that you can really have a comprehensive view of your sale of 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 your sales process, but a comprehensive view of your prospects and your customers, everything, but all contained within a very very visual. Uh, presentation layer. And that's where I think it's going to go. To be honest, I think it's a crowded space right now, but I think you're going to see a lot of smaller and point solutions start to fall away. You'll see a lot of M&A over the next while as well, where you know, uh, where, com- you know, where CRM companies try to buy up uh, point solutions and bolt them onto their system, uh, which mm-hmm. um, which rarely works very well anyway. But yeah. um, So I think you're going to see some consolidation but I also think you're going to see a re-emphasis on focus on on sales and, and the real sales element of it, because I think there's been a lot of distraction around it. Uh, AI is fantastic, and we use AI ourselves as a support tool. It's not going to sell mm. for you. And I think uh, you know there's a lot of hype around AI as well. We've taken a much more realistic approach. Maybe to some extent... It could be a crutch uh, if if you think yeah. that by layering on more tools and by dropping the the buzzwords like AI and machine learning that maybe you can take a mediocre salesperson and, and make him a superstar. But still, uh, yeah. there's no substitute for for the great training that has to happen. Regardless. It's like it's like people in sports, you know. I mean, we all know, you know, people who who start out, you know, golfing or something, and then they they think if they buy the best and the, the biggest, and they keep changing their clubs or their driver, and they watch those ads on TV, it says you're going to hit the ball 500 yards straight if you just get this club. And at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference because it's about the skill and practice. Right. Right. Uh. Do you within this crowded space? How do you how do you position, or do you position along industry lines, or around particular uh, particular other functions? I know that it's really it's really built for, for salespeople in mind with with a visual interface. Is it? Are you seeing that there are certain industries that are really getting more traction than others, and are you are you trying to penetrate certain industries? Um, I mean, we're, we're across, you know, we're, we're, we're a broad solution. So we're across industries. Mm-hmm. We have customers from many, many different, uh, many, many different industries. Uh, you know, some industries we, we've done particularly well in like manufacturing, financial services and IT and place like that. And part of the reason is that when you have industries that believe in process, right, uh, and you have organizations that believe in process, and you have sales organizations that believe in process, and have, then we're we're a fantastic we're a fantastic fit for them because you know, we're a process engine as much as anything else. Uh, uh, but those are some of the ones. But we're a broad solution, and we kind of have customers across the globe in, in many many different industries. So mm-hmm. we don't go we don't go we don't verticalize particularly now. Okay. Yeah. So I I can see clearly with with your history you've done a lot of sales coaching I presume in your career and we're our audience is primarily SaaS related so I, there are a lot of people out there who are looking to make their SaaS sales teams more effective. Are there any particular things that you notice when it comes to a sales a sales team doing SaaS demos that you feel like 
can be generally can be improved? And do you have any oh. do you have any tips for for SaaS salespeople to improve their close rates on demo calls? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the main things, and uh, one of the main things is 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 I don't think SaaS is hundred percent different, obviously, than any other type of sales. I think there are some fundamental things that uh, that need to be done. And back when I, I was talking earlier about running Hathaway, which has been selling for seven or eight years, uh, mm-hmm. and that was sales coaching, performance improvement. For you know, we we worked with companies large and small across the globe. You know, very well known brand spin selling, obviously Neil Rackham. Um, mm-hmm. What I do, what I think today is is preparation is is everything because uh, you know, as we know, there's a lot of information out there about your prospect and your client. So, I think preparing, and I honestly think that that is the one place where a lot of a lot of salespeople still fall down today, and especially in SaaS, and especially if you're doing a lot of maybe demos or calls, it's very easy to forget the prep part of it and to really prepare and and understand and write down the questions you're going to ask the follow-up questions what's your what outcome are you looking for and if you can't get that outcome what's a secondary outcome and then to make sure when you start to uh engage with the prospect and and yeah maybe they've signed up for a demo and they're anxious okay show me your product show me your product right mm-hmm. um i think you have to make sure that you ask some really good questions to set it up so that you end up showing what's important to them within a context of their business. So understand. So those discovery questions, you know, those exploration right before diving straight into the demo, I think are, are really important. Mm-hmm. And then being able to flex with your demo, like being able to uh, adopt what you're showing to what, what they've said to you, you know, so, so being able to flex a little bit. So I think those are things. So I think you have to know your product really well, uh, but you have to have that, real curiosity about what's going on in their business and then be able to relate what your product can do to obviously uh, either uh, you know solve that problem or or grab that opportunity or improve things generally but you have to have that curiosity and i think sometimes uh, as i said the prep work isn't always done great and the curiosity always, doesn't always shine through either and and the other thing too is you got to be elegant i mean it's not it's no good like just coming out with rote questions you have to like really be able to make it your own be conversational be relational all of those things and i think those are more and more important than ever and to be honest if you do those you're going to stand out because unfortunately i mean i get a lot of calls and that there's a lot of uh uh you know, SaaS sales uh, people out there who just run straight into a script and, you know, want to demo everything to you without mm-hmm. really relating it to what's important. Yeah. Maybe, maybe sometimes that's a function of just volume over quality. And if, if mm-hmm. I can do um, without much prep, which takes time, if I can just run through two times the number of demos with a little bit more of a rigid script approach, my yeah, my success rate might be a little bit lower, but I can make up for it with the volume and maybe um, you know just simply leaning too much on just on just cranking through volume. Um, yeah, that's always that's always yeah. a temptation for sure. But uh, at the end of the day, if you look at the people who are really successful and look at what they do, you'll find out that they're a, they take a much more strategic approach. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose it also depends on the the product itself and the, the price points and the size of the prospect. And all that. Well, wanna, there's, wanna, one, there's, one, there's one other thing, Paris. I'd say yeah. it also depends on depends on the sales management. So it depends yeah. on the sales managers and what their focus is and what they're emphasizing. Because at the end of the day, salespeople would take their cues from from sales managers, sales leaders. 
Sure. Absolutely. I want to return to spin selling. You, you've mm-hmm. brought it up a couple of times and there's, there's the, the, the famous book by, um, by Neil Rackham. Mm-hmm. Can you just, for the listeners out there who don't know what spin selling is, can you tell us what is spin selling? And I particularly want to know, do you still think it's relevant today for sales? Uh, I I do because I, I do think it's still relevant today because I think sometimes the more things change, the more they stay the same. And and spin selling is just a fra- it's a questioning framework. Uh, and Neil uh, Neil Rackham he based this on the research he did uh, many years ago, uh, where he actually did proper proper like scientifically based research on on sales and figured out you know what what the best salespeople were doing because here's an interesting thing, Paris is often. The best salespeople are what we call uh, unconsciously competent, right? They they can't tell you what they do really well, and they can't tell you how they do it. Um, and it's an interesting phenomenon because that's because often you know uh, organizations would say, "Oh, you know, Paris is really good. Do what he does." And so we go up and say, "Okay, Paris, how do you approach?" And you're like. Oh, well, I kind of do what I yeah. do, and and you can't. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was the first one to really codify it and 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 examine it and, and find the common traits. And so the the model is really just about um, it's a questioning model for discovery and for 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 really helping uncover needs. So the first thing in spin is a situation. So those are situation questions. Those are about your current situation today. Now a lot of that today, obviously, you can find out all of that in advance. Uh, because mm-hmm. you can find out most of the things about the company, and therefore you can use that part really as kind of validation, you know, just to open mm-hmm. up the conversation and validate. Um, the next one is problems, problem questions. So starting to talk to you about some of the issues you're facing, and this is this is interesting, Paris, because a lot of salespeople, if they start on the on the problem discussion, right, and you mention that you have maybe an issue with something. A lot of salespeople will die, will go, fantastic, I found something, he has an issue with this, my product solves it, so immediately they go into pitching the solution. Now, the, now the issue is that that problem may not be a problem that you care to solve right now, may not be a priority, may not be that big a problem, it just happened to come to mind. So part of the process here is to really explore uh, any of the issues that come up and figure out are these some are these big enough issues uh, and important enough issues that you want to solve so going that step forward and then the the i is for implication is looking at um what are the what are the implications here of this issue right so if i explore it whatever issue you came up with if i keep exploring it with you we come to the point maybe the implications aren't that great so you don't really care that much or maybe we can develop it to the implication is really great and beyond what you thought it would be without mm-hmm. solving this problem and then the final one is needs payoff is where is where we say, okay, if we can solve this, our product can do X, Y, Z, and if we can solve these problems for you and deliver these results for you, you know, is that something you'd be interested in? So it's really just, it's really a framework. And I think frameworks mm-hmm. are always useful. And I think people interact, uh, you know, it's it's a logical interaction framework, but it's one that helps you not dive in too early and not uh, be too superficial because that's where a lot of people fall down at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's relevant today. Obviously, times change and you can evolve and adapt things, but as a fundamental questioning framework, I think it's as powerful as ever. Yeah. And by by 
creating the, the structure that's built around questioning, is that also designed to, well, on the, on the one hand, you, you want to try to get your prospect talking more than, than you. So open-ended questions and yep. just getting them to start to start uh, sharing information. But is it also designed for them to, to, to pretty much arrive at the answer themselves rather than yeah, you trying it, to uh, force yeah. it on them? No, absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, the first rule of communication is that people believe conclusions that come to them by themselves above anything you can ever tell them, right? So, yeah, so part of the process. Yeah. So I like to think of it as it's like taking it's like taking them on a journey and supporting them and helping them uncover things and, and realize maybe. And, and where you can add value in a sales call is, is by helping them actually uncover and see things that maybe weren't obvious to them. I mean, there's a huge value. We call them the value drivers as well. A great value driver is is when you uncover something with the customer that they weren't or a prospect that they weren't even thinking about. You suddenly added huge value to the interaction because like, oh, wow, that's interesting, and you yeah. you deepened the you deepened the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's an explore. It's an exploratory. Uh, it's an exploratory uh, process, if you like, and it's really engaging the other person and, and you're going on a journey together. And that's the way it should be in all sales, regardless of whether it's been selling or whatever. It should always be, a, mm-hmm. you know, you working together to go on this exploratory journey. Yeah, excellent. And I think I think that framework is applicable even beyond sales. I think um, mm-hmm. I, I think even if we translate that to marketing, it's not necessarily when somebody arrives at your homepage should they should you immediately try to to start showcasing features one two three four and rather you should try to get them to see themselves first and just show them use cases and make them say oh yeah it's a it's an IT manager who has an onboarding problem but they've they've identified it and they've said that we solve this problem. I, I tend to think that if people can see themselves almost as if they're seeing a mirror. Mm-hmm. If they if they can see themselves in a solution within about a, I don't know thirty seconds of visiting a website, then the chances of retaining them, avoiding the bounce rate, and and uh, and maybe converting them is, goes way way up. For and the sure. features should be secondary. Um, and I think a lot of times with SaaS products, especially, a lot of the first phase of the evolution of the company is about building an amazing product. And naturally, the first thing you want to do when you then build a marketing website is all right now let's tell let's tell everybody about how amazing this is because we're so proud of it and it does these great things um, but in fact when people first come to check out something they want to see ultimately is this going to is this going to solve my problem and if you anticipate those and call them out right up front with use cases um, i think that's that's more effective so yeah, that, you know, that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's let's shift over to the marketing, and I know that's another area of responsibility for for you. Yep. Uh, you you say it's mostly product centric, and uh, and you versus other competitors, uh, you're you're not necessarily uh, as as aggressive with the marketing. Can you just walk us through the the overall marketing approach to Pipeliner? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, I mean, the CRM is a CRM space, you know, there's a lot of people in it and there's a, and you know, there's new people coming in all the time. Uh, but the, the model, the model that is uh, used by most companies obviously is, you know, you start up, then you, you get a bit of seed capital and then you go looking for, uh, you know, investment and you go to venture capitalists, et cetera, and you try and get some series A or whatever it is. 
And the problem is that all the all the CRM companies kind of do the same thing. They take a bunch of that money and they pump it into Google Ads or 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 you know retarget marketing or whatever and a huge amount of money is spent there. So there's a battle you know, going on on the search engines and and the advertising mm-hmm. space. And and to be perfectly frank, right? I mean, there are there are there's an 800 pound gorilla and a couple of other companies with a lot of money who are pumping a ton of money into into advertising. So you have a choice. I mean, you can say, okay, that's what I need to do and I'm going to try and compete there, or you can take a different approach. And that's what we have done um, uh, over the years is that we have focused largely on content marketing and uh, creating high quality, high value content for, uh, you know, particularly for salespeople and trying to help educate them and educate sales managers and support them in every way. And we found that to be a much more uh, a much more sustainable and a much more successful strategy because we tend to gather a lot of thought leaders around us. We, we, we gain a lot of attention because we don't just, as you say, we don't just put out features. We put out eBooks that explain, you know, the business logic behind it and what you could do to help improve your business. We have sales pop that you can see behind us where I, mm. I, I interview, you know, thought leaders from across the globe. And we even make this content available within the product. So, you know, when you're working in the product, you know, we, we even pop up every day a sales related item that you can, which you can look at. So our, our whole uh, marketing approach has been largely around Number one, content marketing, and number two is building very, very deep relationships with with our customers, and you know, with them being testimonials and referrals and all of that. So that's that's our whole approach to marketing, and we like to think that it's a little bit of a more sophisticated. It's a little bit harder, obviously. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier just to uh, send your money to Google if that's what you want to do, yeah. um, and and so that's a, that's why we've taken it. We've taken a different approach. Yeah, I really do like that, and, and really trying to define define the terms of, of what what battle you want to participate in, because the the gorillas, you know, everybody knows it's Salesforce and HubSpot are, are the probably the two names that come to mind there. Um, you're not going to outspend them, and and they can even they can even uh, allocate a portion of that investment even at a loss in order to subsidize oh, no, no, other, no. other things. A hundred percent, and they just drive mm-hmm. the you know the pay per click costs way way up, and and if that's like I said, if that's what you want to do and you want to try and compete head on, um, yeah. I don't I, I I don't know whether charging head on at an eight hundred pound gorilla is always the best the best uh, option to choose. <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. So let's dive a little deeper into content marketing. Um, can you walk us through your approach to developing a content strategy and then actually executing that against some sort of roadmap or editorial calendar? How, how does it work? Um, yeah, so so there's two parts to our content strategy. There's number one, there's the you know the product related content, and and like I said, is we produce a lot of content that is that shows the business application uh, of behind uh, you know what we do with pipeliner and and not just the business application but also helps you with understanding you know how to apply different ideas and concepts to your business and how the product supports it so again you know we go at a much deeper at a much much deeper level of trying to educate and help people and show them how they can leverage the platform, you know, to solve business issues and get business results. And so we produce a lot of content around that. And that is something that uh, 
our, our, our prospects and customers highly appreciate. We do a lot of video content around the product as well. Uh, we have probably, I mean, I would say we have the best videos and the most comprehensive video library out there. And again, it's something that prospects and customers you know, really appreciate. And then on the broader scale, like with SalesPop, we, we look for uh, thought leaders in sales marketing, motivation, leadership, and we look for people who are going to inspire and, and bring new ideas, uh, new ideas to people. And this is part of our kind of commitment to education. If you like, it's almost our altruistic part of our business where we're trying to help educate people by being the conduit to bring great information and thought leaders and great insights from people people across the globe and again mm-hmm. you know that enhances our brand as well because again it's a different approach nobody can compete yeah. there's not a there's not a crm company out there that can compete with sales pop even if i do say so myself uh, I'm, I'm on sales pop right now and by the way what i can see is these numbers are staggering sales pop tv has 840 plus videos mm-hmm. the blog's got 2210 articles podcast 650 plus audio streams so you all have this is a mountain of content yeah, especially yeah. video and audio content yeah yeah so no it's, it's an, it's an, it's an, it's an engine but it but it's mm-hmm. like it, it's it's it, it's also quite intimate too because it's uh there's a lot of like you know conversation between two people and that's what we try to do just kind of like what we're doing today paris uh, yeah. and, and just, uh, and trying to bring really high quality content because here's the other thing. There's a lot of companies do content marketing or try to do content marketing, but the quality isn't there. The quality and of content, it's like throwing out rote content and it's just like, oh, maybe I can find somebody online here who can just throw a load of content together for me and just pump out, pump out content, which I call just noise. Like, you know, just add to the mm-hmm. noise. Why don't you? We're, we're, we're big on quality. Like I said, whether it's, it's the content around our product with the, you know, ebooks and our website and all the, all the great stuff that we do there, the videos, or whether it's on sales pop with very interesting and, and comprehensive uh, content coming from very eclectic sometimes uh, perspectives but we do believe we do believe in education and i think at the end of the day our commitment to educating both our customers and the world at large with with sales uh, with sales mm-hmm. pop i think that's what uh, makes us stand apart yeah so i'm curious as now on the on the brand level here we've got a few we've got a few brands and in particular you have the product the, the product brand which is which is pipeliner and then you've got Sales Pop, which is a, it's really the media brand, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. because this sure. is where all of the content's coming from. How do you bridge those brands? How do you get people to cross over from identifying and placing value with all that great content at Sales Pop to, to then transferring that value and trust over to, to Pipeliner when, it, when they have a need to actually you know, shop, shop around for a CRM? Yeah, I mean, like it's, it is obvious. I mean, the sales pop is supported by, by Pipeliner and it, it's sponsored by Pipeliner and all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, that allow, that lends its own credibility to the fact that we don't just produce content related to the platform and we don't just uh, produce content that we're hoping is going to immediately convert you to uh, to purchase a CRM, which would be nice. Our CRM, which would be nice, but uh, but what mm-hmm. we're, that's not the that's not the purpose here. Uh, the purpose is to really to support and educate people, and I think that's where we build trust. Uh, we build trust with our audience through that, and because of that, then 
when they're looking for CRM or whatever, or when the people that we I interview, when they hear of people looking for CRM, they you know they will talk about pipeline and they say you should check these guys out. They do really interesting mm-hmm. things. So it's it's a kind of a if you like, it's a reputation builder, but also it's a trust builder. And I think that's the main that that's the biggest part. I think it builds enormous trust and goodwill, and we have such great connections with <clears throat> with our guests and audience. That it helps promote the helps promote the brand in a in a I would say a far more effective way in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that there. I think you seem to be striking the right balance of having you have some some calls to action clearly that sure when uh, that where if you're if you're consuming that content uh, if you're ready to to talk to somebody about about pipeline or yep. here you go and you can set up a demo. But I don't think it's overdone, and I don't think. Uh, there's just certainly a line that could be crossed where it just seems like it's a little bit uh, forceful, but I think yeah. you all are, are striking the right balance. Yeah, and that was our that was our approach from the very beginning. Was that uh, I did you know, we didn't want to just do another you know product centric uh, you know blog or, or, or site or whatever. We wanted to do something that's of much higher value because that's what we believe in. We believe in we really believe in education. We believe in quality content, mm-hmm. and that. And, and that is part of our, our, our brand, uh, our brand equity, if you like, as well. You know, part of the, 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 the facets of our brand is our commitment to education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to know also when it comes to converting users either through a product, product-led growth experience where they can just dive in and get started on a free trial versus scheduling a demo with, with someone on the sales team, do you prefer to have them go through one channel or the other, or um, generally, what's the what is the split, and how do you handle those two paths? Uh, yeah, I mean, ideally, we ideally we want to <clears throat> have a chance to engage with somebody, and not just to do a demo, because we want to really engage with them to understand their challenges and their, their their business needs and the results and outcomes they're looking for because the product is so rich in many ways is that if you just take a trial on your own you may not hit the pieces that are of most uh, of of most importance to you so that's why we like to do we like mm-hmm. to do a demo and I don't even like to call it a demo so much I'd like to say that we like to do a an, a a good exploratory uh, discovery call with people where we can show them ultimately once we understand what it is that they're looking to do and what problems they're trying to solve that we can then show them how the product can deliver on that and which parts of the product can deliver mm-hmm. on that because like I said it's quite a comprehensive product if people go take a trial and want to do you know want to be on their own and do it that's that's fine too we have built in tours we have a lot of help built into our product we have a knowledge base we have the videos we talked about we have live chat available so there's a lot mm-hmm. of ways for people to interact but ideally obviously you would like to engage them because you'd like to understand what it is they're trying to achieve and show them how the product can support that or what parts of the products and features can support that. Uh, and that's why you know, we, we do try to get people, uh, you know, to do, to talk to us for a little bit and have a demo uh, mm-hmm. because we think the richness of that experience is something that uh, is something that, you know, really impacts them. Gotcha. How many, how many salespeople do you have over there? Um, we have quite a sizable sales team. I'm I'm not going to give out yeah. numbers on things, you know, because people always love to try and uh, 
Gotcha. Try yeah, and extrapolate yeah. things when you throw out a number, but uh, yeah, but you know we have, and we have a mixture. You know, we have internal salespeople. Um, you know, we have people who who are um, it's what we'd like to call pipeline entrepreneurs, which is uh, independent salespeople in different parts of the world who also, you know, sell pipeline. Mm-hmm. And what, what the the most successful people on that team? What what, what would be a what kind of close rates do they have in a quarter when they really crush it? Um, oh, that's an that's an interesting question. Like I do have that data, but uh, I would say the close the close rates. I mean, you want to have a you want to have a close rate, you know, somewhere in the you know twenty five percent upwards. You know, when you're down to the wire mm-hmm. on stuff, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, head, heading even higher if you're really good, um, and but I tell you what, the um, you know our most successful our most successful salespeople, I would say one of the keys to it is is passion and belief in the product, because that is the one thing that you can't you you can't put a price on. Because so many times, if you engage with somebody or as a salesperson has engaged with you, and 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 you're like. They don't really seem to care that much about their product. They're not excited about it. They're not passionate about it. And and yeah. why am I gonna why am I gonna buy something from somebody who who sells the product? I presume they use it themselves, and they don't even like they're not even that excited about it, right? And yeah. and so that one of the things is you know our best salespeople passionately believe in the product, passionately believe it's going to help and change people's business for the better. And if it turns out during an engagement that it looks like that we're not a fit for them, they're very very you know they will get out and they'll say like you know that's uh, this doesn't look like it's the right solution for you. And um, mm-hmm. here are some other ones that you might want to look at. But I think I I just really don't think you can substitute passion and belief. But you have to have the product behind it. And I think that's the key is because mm-hmm. we believe so passionately because we know we have the best product, the most comprehensive product, the most visual mm-hmm. product. So it's very easy for us to get passionate about it. But I'm telling you, passion goes a long way because that's what people want. You want to get excited. You want to say, I want to be as excited about your product as you are. Yeah. And does that passion come through rigorous training that the salespeople go through to get a really deep understanding or do you think it's sparked just by them using the product every day and eventually just realizing that this is a great experience and, and I want to communicate that to somebody else? Yeah, I would say it's a bit of both, to be honest. Uh, I mean, we obviously train people and make sure that they understand the product in, in, in a very deep level. Uh, but also it's when you it's it's when they start using and engaging with the product themselves, they suddenly, you know, because most people have experience with CRMs from other companies and, yeah, it normally uh, makes you want to, you know, throw up when somebody says, here's your CRM. Um, yeah. But when they start to use, you know, Pipeliner and they're like, this is fantastic. And they learn things and they get, and here's the other thing, which I think is really interesting, Paris, is often our sales team, when we have sales meetings, like, because we obviously use our own product, we'll discover something or, or say, oh, you can do this. Oh, this is fantastic. Then everybody gets excited and they can't wait to tell prospects and existing customers about something else that they've discovered that you can do with the product. So it's both mm-hmm. it, it's it's both the training part, which is important, but it's really the usage and the experiential part of it is what really gets people fired up. And that's what we find with customers and prospects is that once they get to really experience, they're like, wow, this is so different. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, John, if... Um if it's all right, I'd like to ask you something about the martial arts stuff now, because that I found that sure. very interesting in your bio. <laughs> Can you, what what are you doing in that in that area of life? 
Um, yeah, well, I do, I do Taekwondo and I do a bit of boxing as well. And, uh, I started, uh, you know, I've done martial arts sort of kind of on and off in my, in my youth, a little bit of my, my early adult. Uh, but when my son was, when my son was born, uh, like he's 16 now, uh, when he was a couple of years old, I thought, you know, he's an only child and, uh, I think martial arts would be really good for him just from a confidence builder. So, I started him. I started him in martial arts when he was three, and uh, right. uh, and then I decided, you know, we, uh, I was persuaded actually, but to you know, why don't you do it with him? And mm-hmm. and to be honest, best best decision of my life in many ways. Um, so we started martial arts together, and we still do it together today. So you know, we're thirteen and a half years or so of, or thirteen years or so of. Uh, of martial arts and and what I what I love about it is that it's it's one of the few places left that like teach you like respect you know teach you you know discipline all of those things that you know maybe a lot of people could you know maybe is lacking in some other places in the world today um, but that's what it did and the other part as well is and I think the great thing about martial arts is you you are not competing against other people really you're competing against yourself because there's always going to be somebody bigger stronger faster more flexible more nimble you know whatever it is so you have to compete against yourself you have to look every day at how am i improving as a martial artist personally uh, and and it's that and i think it's that it's that individualism in many ways within the context of obviously i belong to uh, you know a dojang and have a master and all of that and you know uh, other other people who who train with me but really mm-hmm. it's intensely yourself how you are how you are trying to improve and improve in mind and body all the time as uh, as well and 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 commitment and those are the things and i think those are very pure elements and i think those um those really help you in life because uh, you know, uh, it's a great way of of looking. You know, martial arts is often about problem solving, and it's about uh, adapting and things like that. And and I think those serve you really, really well in life. Plus, it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun, and uh, I like kicking people. <laughs> That's not true. It must be a great, if nothing else, a great way to to, to get some stress out. Oh, it's fantastic! And, and a really, seriously, really cool yeah. thing. Well, it is mm-hmm. because um, let's face it. I mean, uh, you know, especially if you're if you're sparring and stuff, you know, you can't really be thinking about other things because otherwise you're going to get a punch in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better be present in the moment. Yeah, huh? exactly. You might you might uh, you might find yourself on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great, John. And then thank, thanks for that additional additional dimension. I think it's fascinating how you blend clearly a real passion for sales and helping helping salespeople improve their their careers and their lives along with the, with the martial arts side and, and the self-improvement. I think there's a really, really cool underlying theme going on there. So it's been fascinating to, to talk to you and learn about that. Is there anything that I haven't asked you so far that you wished I would have asked you or that you want our audience to know? Um, no, I think you, I think you covered, uh, covered a lot in this, uh, Paris. I, I think that's everything. So at the risk of, uh, I mean, I think this is a good place probably for us to leave it. Like, uh, so a risk of boring yeah, sure. people. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I think this has been fascinating and we really did cover a lot. Um, we got reacquainted with, with the art of spin selling and, and we, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about the CRM space and how you're marketing in a unique way to, to pick your battles carefully, which I think is very smart. And, and ending with the martial arts stuff. So we did cover quite a lot of ground. Absolutely. John, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much for, for being with me. Yeah, listen, it was fantastic, Paris. Thanks for the great questions. Love it.
Perfect. Sure thing. All right. Take care and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.